District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to another installment of District of Conservation. I am your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast aims to give you a sober look into public policy relating to conservation, energy, and environment. Today, I'm releasing part two of my exclusive interview with economist Stephen Moore. Part one was released on my YouTube channel as it relates to economics and our discussion relating to policies, current trends, and my second part interview with Stephen Moore is going to largely focus on energy and the environment and what has invited high gas prices and other price hikes related to energy, what explains it. So we talk about his book, Govzilla, and his mentioning of environmental issues. And if you need a little backgrounder on Stephen Moore, his bio from Freedom Works, where he serves as their senior economist, reads like this. He communicates Freedom Works' vision for a pro-growth economic agenda to grassroots activists and media nationwide, as well as conducting original economic analysis. His columns have appeared in outlets such as the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Times, Forbes, Fox News, and National Review. He has a BA in economics, if I'm not mistaken, of course, from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and a master's degree from George Mason University. So here is part two of my conversation with economist Stephen Moore about policies that have invited kind of this economic malaise as it relates to energy and the environment and whether or not Biden's policies are inviting this as well. Enjoy. And we're seeing that type of trust in government, I think, even unravel in a space like energy and environment, which you dedicate a lot to in your book as well. And you blame Biden's executive orders on day one. That was actually the first thing he did. He put a climate centric anti-fossil fuel, anti-oil and gas agenda into place. And you largely say that is what is attributable to the higher prices we're seeing at the pump in our electricity bills, but they blame it on Putin. They, they created cute hashtag Putin's price hike and maybe had a little bit of an impact. What's your view into that? Is it these policies, these kind of preservationist anti kind of market policies that have invited further dependence on our adversaries while we're sitting on lots of reserves of crude oil and crude gas. What explains why we're in this malaise with respect to energy security? Well, you know, Biden and the left have declared war on American energy. Um, This climate change has become no longer a science. It is a religion of the left. Um, And um, so there is no price high enough to pay, you know, to, destroy our American oil and gas and coal industry, even though folks, we get 70% of our energy from from good old fashioned fossil fuels, oil, gas, and coal. This country was built on oil and gas and coal. Doesn't matter whether the United States reduces our oil and gas and coal um, emissions to zero, uh, because of course, China and India and these other countries are emitting four to five times as much pollution. So uh, the, the solution, even look, even if you think we have to wean ourselves from fossil fuels, it makes no difference if we get ourselves off of fossil fuels when China and these other countries are emitting more than ever before. China right now, is, as we speak, is building 100 new coal plants. Do you really believe that China cares about climate change? I mean, come on. They don't care about climate change. They care about taking over the world. They're, you know, as Donald Trump used to say, the rest of the world is 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 laughing behind our back. The Saudis don't care about climate change. The, the Russians, do you think Vladimir Putin cares about climate change? I mean, so all we're doing is, you know, um, destroying our own economy. And incidentally, 
this is an important point. If you believe that climate change is a, is a you know, uh, what do they call it? A uh, existential threat. Existential threat. Thank you. If you believe that it's an existential threat, the single most important thing we could do to reduce global greenhouse gas emissions would be to bring all oil and gas production to the United States. Why is that? Because we have by far the cleanest and the most stringent energy, I mean, uh, environmental protections. So when we think about this, when we reduce our oil and gas production in states like Texas and North Dakota and Oklahoma and West Virginia and Alaska and move it to Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, uh, China, Russia, um, Iran, that's actually making the uh, the uh, greenhouse gas emissions planet on the planet much, much worse. So none of these uh, prescriptions have anything to do with making the, the uh, air uh, safer and, and cleaner. Now, I'm gonna, I'd like to make another point. The Over the last 25 years, um, we've had almost a million deaths in America due to drug overdoses in the opiate crisis. It, it is a crisis. It is a crisis in America. Um, in the last 25 years, do you know how many people have died from, global, from climate change? Zero. So we've got one problem where a million people have died and another problem where zero people have died. Look at the Biden budget. This tells you, you know, there's an old saying that a, a president's budget tells you a lot about their values and priorities. So this budget spends hundreds of billions of dollars on climate change, which has killed no one. And the amount of money that we're spending on the opiate crisis is one one hundredth of what they're spending on climate change. This misallocation of resources is very dangerous and it's actually leading to more deaths, not fewer. Certainly, yeah, that, that's uh, what we're going to be debating a lot about whether the misplaced priorities just on climate has contributed to this economic malaise, people paying more for energy. Uh, and let, let me, let me uh, you know, so as you know, I worked for Donald Trump. I worked on energy issues with him and every meeting we had in the Oval Office and, and uh, you know, when he was running for president, we always talked about how do we make energy, American energy independent? Um, because, you know, in my lifetime, um, you know, my during my whole lifetime, and I'm 60 years old, you know, the United States has been importing oil and gas from OPEC countries. And I remember Trump used to say, you know, he used to wag his finger and say, Steve, I don't want America to be energy independent. I want America to be energy dominant. And by the, by the end of Trump's presidency, America was really on the road to being the energy dominant country. We were actually exporting oil and gas and petroleum products for the first time in my lifetime. And that put America in an incredibly strong geopolitical situation, both for our economy and our national security. Look what's happened in the last 14 months. I mean, it's astonishing how you could how you can destroy an industry so quickly. We should be producing 15 million barrels of oil uh, a day. We're producing 10 and a half million. So these are policies that almost seem to be deliberately trying to injure the American economy. So uh, you can tell I'm frustrated because the, and by the way, most Americans are angry as I am about this. I mean, it's driving up the price of gasoline at the pump. It's making America weaker. It's funding our enemies. I mean, how is it that Putin is able to fund his war machine? Because we've, we, we've uh, surrendered our leadership and energy. So this is a policy that is um, backward. In, it, it hurts our 
jobs. It hurts our GDP. It, hurt, it increases inflation. It makes us uh, the world a more dangerous place, and it funds our enemies. Other than that, these policies make a lot of sense. <laughs> and what do you think about his tapping into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? We see reports that they want to do that again. That's a last-minute kind of emergency fund. Why are they doing that to assuage their concerns about the climate? What exactly um, is the reasoning behind that? Yeah, so they've they started tapping the oil reserves. I think that's the right thing to do, you know, because the price of oil is so high. And and they did reduce the price of oil when they started doing this um, uh, by about five or six dollars a barrel. Well, you know, that's not insignificant. Um, so that's a, that. I mean, if I were advising the president, I would have advised him to do that. But it's a band aid, right? It's a, it's a temporary solution. The the solution is not to tap. I mean, yes, we should be tapping the oil reserves, but much more importantly, and much more uh, of a long-term, medium and long-term solution is to produce more oil and gas here. Let's just go all in, produce our oil, our gas, our coal, our nuclear, all of the stuff. And so, um, you know, uh, we are now, when, when Trump left office, the price of oil was $60 a barrel. Now it's $105 a barrel. That's a, that's a huge tax on the American consumer. And they also have a similar reluctance to want to domestically mine. That's something I've noticed too in my observation into this. They talk about wanting to mine in America to produce cleaner energy technologies, and they don't want to mine here. They still want to mine, uh, reliably mine or reliably rely on people who mine abroad, China, Russia, and other countries that are not friendly towards us. Well, that's right. If you want um, to use uh, wind and solar power, by the way, I think you could probably get maybe 10 or 15% of our energy, maybe 20%, maybe from wind and solar. So where are we gonna get the other 80%? I mean, do these, these fools really think we're gonna get 70, 80, 90% of our energy from windmills? I mean, it is really, you have to scratch your head and say, are they trying to destroy our economy or do they really believe this fantasy? Um, Europe tried green energy 10 or 15 years ago. They went on all in for wind and solar power and it damn near bankrupted those countries. And so now they're switching back to natural gas and coal. Uh, and one of the reasons they are dependent on Russia today for oil and natural gas is because they dismantled their own fossil fuel production. And they're paying a high price for that. Well, why aren't we paying attention? Are we going to repeat the very mistakes that the Europeans made? It, it is so distressing to me that we now have an administration that is to the left of the Europeans on, uh, on climate change. <laughs> I mean, it's really an amazing thing. And so um, I'm, an, I'm all for clean air and clean water. And yeah, absolutely, we need the best environmental regulations. But we've got to put America first. And we've got to be producing all of our energy, all of it. And if we can get our 10 or 15% from wind and solar, all the better. You know, so I'm from Chicago. I think we're going to get a lot of... Uh, um, energy from uh, solar power in Chicago? I don't, I don't think so. Phoenix, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all approach to adopting certain energy forms. Here in Virginia, we rely heavily on natural gas. That's our number one electricity producer. Then it's nuclear, actually. I think 29, 30% of the state uh, uh, has an electricity grid on that as well. So every state is different according to whether it, the base load is inefficient in some states for That's these right. new technologies. Yeah. You're right. That's why the all of the above 
energy strategy makes sense. If the price of oil goes up, we should use more coal. If the price of coal goes up, we should use nat more natural gas. You know, we should use whatever makes more most economic sense. Um, we have 500 years worth of coal in this country. We have the cleanest coal in the world. We have 250 years worth of natural gas in this country with existing technology. We have 150 years worth of oil. We're not running out. Remember, uh, you see, again, I'm older than you are. <coughs> I, I remember when the left said, oh, we have to stop using oil and gas because we're running out of it. We're not running out of it. We're running into it. The shale <laughs> revolution like quadrupled the amount of oil and gas that we have access to. Technology always um, outpaces the uh, the um, amount of oil and gas we use. So we're not, we'll never, the, the, the wells will never, never, never run dry. Um, so let's just be smart about this. And as we move more and, and with respect to climate change, if this becomes, you know, who knows what's going to happen to the temperature of the planet and over the next 50 or 100 years. But um, if we do reach some crisis point, then it's, the government isn't going to solve this problem. It'll be solved by technology, you know, by technological improvements. And that means we need to continue to grow our economy and our technological capacity to deal with the problems that may emerge, whether it's climate change or a, uh, you know, a comet that's going to, you know, land on the earth, all sorts of things that are unpredictable could happen. But the more economically developed and technologically sophisticated we are, the better we are able to, um, to deal with these. And so then the question becomes, well, how do we do that? How do we make sure we rapidly accelerate our technological process? Uh, and, and that, of course, is what I call in my book, the goose that lays the golden eggs. And the goose that lays the golden eggs is the free enterprise system. And it's the, it's the system of limited government and a free market capitalist system. And when I see the Biden administration moving away from that, that's putting America in a poorer and more dangerous situation. Thanks for listening to this episode of District of Conservation. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you're following the podcast on your preferred player. We recommend Apple because that's where the largest share of our listenership hails from. And you can also find us on Spotify and dozens of other platforms. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And please, please, please go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify. Those help us go a long way in seeing how far we can go and measure our progress. So we really appreciate that. If you enjoy this podcast, please share the word with your friends, share links to individual episodes and to the podcast. Want to appear on the podcast? Have an interesting story to tell? I'm all ears. Shoot me a message and we'll do our best to process your request.